0: This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health
1: authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The Minutia Men Celebrity Interview is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, we take a look at celebrity cars that sold at auction, plus... Roads That Talk. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Costable for these stories and more on The Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast and Opi Production on The Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview with Rick Kempfer and Dave Stern. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Men a Celebrity Interview with Rick and
2: Dave. All right, Dave, this is exciting. Joining us on the phone, Billy Hayes, the author of Midnight Express, which is a Terrifying, true tale. I mean, terrifying about being caught trying to smuggle hashish out of Turkey and then spending time in a Turkish prison. I'm sure most of our listeners remember the movie. It was a huge hit. For me, I I remember it too well. It came out in right when I was in high school, right. 1979. I had nightmares for a month. I think I even stopped doing hashish for a couple of days.
1: Right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Billy. You, 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 you screwed Rick up from.
2: <laughs> but I think it might have been a little bit worse for you. Isn't that true? Billy
1: Hayes. Well,
0: you know, I I think at the very least my life is a cautionary tale. <laughs> all, all those who have seen it, like, don't be that stupid and do what I did. So...
1: You know, exactly. And I don't want I'm sure this question has been probably posed to you, but what
0: were you thinking? (laughs) uh, Well, you know, seemed like seemed like a good idea at the time. (laughs) You know, the truth is, um, when I came home in 1975, I have I actually made three successful hash smuggling trips before I got arrested on my fourth trip. Right. I did it I did it in October of 1969, uh, ap- no, April of 69, October of 69, April of 70, every six months. And okay. then in October of 70, I took my fourth and last and should definitely not have done more than three trips. <laughs> but, you know, when I got home, I wanted to write my book about everything, my whole experience. You know, I loved Istanbul. I got along great with the Turks. I loved the city and I loved the hash. I had a Turkish girlfriend. I didn't like the prison. I didn't like the legal system, right. but that's a yeah. whole different issue. But when I got home, and I I told my lawyer, actually, I said, you know, I want to write this book and say about all my more exciting hash trips and such. He said, so let me get this straight. One question here. Uh, you want to say that you and tell everybody in the world, including the U.S. government, that you officially smuggled hash from Turkey to the U.S. <laughs> three times before you got busted on your fourth trip. Is is that correct? I said, uh, uh, yeah, I guess so. He said, good. One more question. Are you out of your fucking mind? You can't say that. I said, why not? They, they can't. They, there's no proof. They can't arrest. Me. He said, they don't have to have any proof. The Turkish government is going to ask for your extradition. And the U.S. government is going to say yes or no. And now you want to say to them, "Oh, by the way, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, (laughs) three times." I spoke of that. Three words. Statute of limitations. (laughs) Well, Uh, uh, there you go. So I was actually limited in my writing of the first book, and I, I could only talk about my fourth trip and you know prison and escape. I couldn't really talk about the other parts of it, which led to some difficulties and problems, and it also you know led to the overall tone of the film which was rather was a difficult film for the Turks. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. You know, the tourism dropped 95% Oof. when the movie came out. And the biggest change in, in, in between my real life story, my book and the movie is... Aside from the escape, which was just, uh, uh, mind-blowing to me, when I, Alan Parker showed me the film in New York at a little theater in, on Fifth Avenue, some Columbia office, way before it even came out, and all by myself. I came out, I was like sweating, I couldn't even breathe. He said, well, Billy, what do you think? I said, <laughs> Did uh, I make it? Did I make it? <laughs> uh, I said, I, I, I love the film, I miss my rowboat. What happened, you know, literally, I escaped off an island in a rowboat in a storm, yeah. and it gave me back my life and my sense of self. Prison says, you're a loser, you're a loser. After a while, you believe that. And you're yeah. done you lose something and i was at that point when i escaped and the, literally i got myself in i fucked myself over i fucked my family over but i got myself out yeah. and i wanted to see that god damn it just for me yeah. i wanted to see that rowboat they didn't use it yeah. i no,
2: you know and it's, it's a really dramatic story the real story it's is made really dramatic for
0: hollywood it's made for i was afraid that if they did it people going to say oh the good movie except for that made up ending like so they didn't do it at all they had me kill a guard which i didn't do and then skip out the door which you know if it had been that easy it wouldn't have taken me five yeah. years yeah. <laughs> so it's like and then in the film they changed they've got a courtroom scene which i think for me is the key part of the movie that antagonized the world against the turks you yeah. know not that they needed too much the ottoman empire was disliked by everyone around the blah 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 right. but i'm not talking politics just in the courtroom scene in that film the audience is with their antagonist with me. Billy Hayes, and he gets, you know, instead of going free in 54 days, they sentence me to life in jail, Right. which everybody in the theater says, oh my God, that'd be terrible. And they've got a speech that Oliver Stone wrote, who wrote the screenplay, right. where they've got my character cursing out the nation of Turkey. I fuck you all. I fuck your sons. I fuck your daughters. Well, yeah. first off, Somebody who's just been sentenced to life in a country's prison, you don't say that <laughs> you know, out that loud to people. <laughs> if you, you, maybe you feel that way, but you don't say that, which was so stupid to me. And then secondly, you know, what I said was I've been in your jail more than three years now and I don't agree. And if you're going to sentence me to more prison, all I can do is forgive you that's in my book that's in the court record forgive you fuck your sons and daughters there's a big difference between the two the you know i'm so world... happy to
2: hear you say that because when i watched that movie i was muttering to myself shut up shut up shut up <laughs> yeah, what are well,
0: you doing it, shut up but it's true like why would he do that and and it for me just personally that that film the audience was you know, that's where the the audience was so antagonized against the Turkish nation and where everybody in Turkey hated the character they saw on the screen, which is me, and they see me kill a guard. Again, I didn't do that. I escaped this island, and the storm, and a robot made for Hollywood. They didn't do it, but the whole world saw Did you saw bite that. the
2: guy's tongue off? Is that real?
0: Uh, the fight was real. Okay. This, this guy was an informer, and he got one of my friends busted and beaten up, and I wasn't quite as successful. The guards came in and dragged me off while I was... Trying to choke and kill this guy, which sounds so strange to say now. I'm into love and light, and I want birds to land on my shoulder, and I was trying to kill this guy, but the guards dragged me off. But the the, the filmmaker thought to have the informer's tongue bitten out was very theatrical. I actually don't have problems with that. Yeah, not not like that per- part. That was Well, cool. <laughs> I didn't do it per se, but the thing is, it, it's, it works, and there was so much violence in all different forms there that I didn't have a problem if they took, if they chose this bit of violence as opposed to something else that happened, it didn't bother me. The, but the courtroom scene bothered me because I didn't say that, and Turkey's tourism dropped 95%, and everybody in the theater hated the Turks because of that scene, and my life was miserable. For 20 years, there was an Interpol warrant after they issued the Interpol warrant not when I escaped not when my first book came out but when they saw that scene in the movie <laughs> the really? Turks issued an Interpol warrant for my arrest that stood for the next 20 years wow. so like Thank you, Oliver Stone. But uh, <laughs> hey,
1: yeah. Have you had a chance to talk to Oliver Stone and bitch him out for this? Yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, yes and no, a little bit. You know, he sort of became a persona non grata with the whole film crew and the producers and such. Oh, really? So
2: even well, back he, then, he was like that.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. Way more back then. He was crazy. I love him. I love the energy. I love that craziness. His worst films are better than most people's. No, you're you right know, about that. Best idea. films. So, but that's a whole other issue. But yeah. no, but he, he made that change. He actually wrote. The real escape in and then uh, Alan Parker. Pretty much took it out when I asked him what happened to my robot. He said, Billy, what 45 minutes of this film do you want to cut to have, you know, the escape? The audience has had enough. And then there's the factors of what it would cost as a filmmaker myself. Now I understand what it would cost to shoot an uh, escape in a rowboat uh, in a storm at night and then run through Turkey for three days and eventually swim across the river into Greece.
1: Yeah, and that yeah. would be a
0: lot of money. Just, so he yeah, said, just
1: kill, just kill the garden. Will be just fine. kill him,
0: quit <laughs> and get him out of there, yeah, yeah, which exactly. is, you know, that's what happened. So um, yeah. They I guess that, that makes
1: sense. You know, I thought yeah. I thought Brad Davis did a great job. Uh, he
0: he put his heart. in school.
1: Oh, my God. He was fantastic. Did you spend any time with him? You know, before sure. The movie? Yeah, I, you spoke cash with him.
0: Know- right? No, no, not before. <laughs> they they yeah, I would love to. They brought me over to Malta to meet with Brad in the middle of shooting, which oh. the director didn't like it. Actually, I don't think Brad liked it either. He's you know, he's got this. He read my book. He's got my little paperback all noted and bent pages. And, you know, he really studied the book. But it was weird to have the real guy there. So they, but Columbia insisted they bring me there for some PR stuff, have, you know, pictures of Billy Hayes and then Brad mm-hmm. together. And for three days, they didn't let me meet him. And then one day, David Putnam, one of the producers, brought me up some backstairs on the set, which was Fort St. Elmo on, on Malta, and uh, had me walk in and sort of like push me into this room where there were a bunch of people and there were cameras set up and I, I didn't know what it was. And they were interviewing Brad on the bed force you know some kind of uh, pr stuff for, for later and putnam said well they're making me do this and i have to do it i'm going to do it right so he opened the door and like shoved me into the room which was like wow and there was brad on the bed and brad looked at me and i looked at him and he said the first thing he said was ah, you know to the guys around it this isn't fair like you know you're springing this on me yeah, right. but then he and i instantly connected and i sat down next to him in the bed and we did this interview and such and we were you know we had this incredible bond and when i got back from malta uh and i actually was living in california at that time he and i became friends and we stayed friends up until the end which yeah. Yeah. wasn't too much further unfortunately yeah.
2: Yeah. right that's true um you know uh, you talked about oliver stone and and uh he is a brilliant writer and, you know, you're you're a brilliant writer, too. I read your your book. It's it's really well written. Um, I, I'm sorry. I, di-
0: I didn't hear that part. There was static on the line.
1: <laughs> you know what? It's a podcast. Anybody can keep rewinding it as many times as they want. Thank but, you very much, by the way. No, I it's really it. it's it's really okay.
2: very well written. Um, uh, did you feel like um, now looking back on it, having someone of Oliver Stone's uh uh, cachet uh, attached to the project does it does it make you feel like uh, it's added to the legend of the story or, or well, was he no, just kind is, of unknown at that
0: time? He was a total unknown. Yeah. He had you know the they had read a copy of a script that he had written uh, called Platoon that yeah. nobody would make because it was so close to the war and such, right. which had him really pissed off. I mean, obviously, but it went all around. Everybody read it, great, 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 but nobody would do it. But it was that script that made the Columbia folks, Peter and people, realize that he could write this story. So they put me and him in a, a little room at the Mayfair Hotel in New York for a week. And we spent, you know, eight hours a day, seven straight days in a row uh, where you know, he'd order room service and have vodka and food and lines of Coke. And he was just he was so crazy. But <laughs> I like crazy. It worked for, fine for me. So we rambled for a week. And I said, now what? He says, now I go off to a cabin in the mountains somewhere and write this script. And I said, and then what? And he said, then like a child, you send it out into the world and you just pray that it survives. Wow. <laughs> I mean, he knew the film business even then. But, you know, I didn't have any say on what when my when I signed a contract, my literary agent, Julian Bach, who I loved. I met in New York like the third or fourth day I was home. I met a whole bunch of literary agents. They were lined up when you got. Yeah, but they were also that, you know, they had me meeting instantly with the writers and people, Peter Moss and other people that wanted me to like, you know, I got to write this myself, guys. It's so then I met uh, uh, Julian and. He read my first 15 pages of rough stuff and he said, Well, Billy, this is good because now we know we need to bring in a professional writer. I said, What are you talking about? You know, I went to journalism school. I'm a writer. He said, Your style, which he termed the hysterical subjective, he said, This would be good for Rolling Stone and your immediate peers. But if you want this book to go out beyond that, and he said, and to make any money, which God, I needed, he said, We need to. Bring somebody in to organize you and focus it. So I didn't want someone, but I desperately wanted someone just to see. uh, You know, I couldn't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. And I met a bunch of guys, a bunch of writers, and then I met Bill Hoffer, who was wonderful. And he kind of reminded me of my wife of 39 years. Very calm, very steady, and very deliberate, and never fucking gives up or stops. And Hoffer just kept at me. I'd quit after the first couple of days because bringing all this stuff up was i bet he had a tape he he brought a tape recorder in and what we did initially was he just talked to me asked questions and i spoke into a tape recorder which is a very humbling experience because then they then they transcribe it and to read the the non-sequitur disjointed way that my brain works it was oh my god but out of that we organized here's the start of the book here's the end of the book let's break it down let's get some chapters let's get some characters and then he would say you need to write this and I'd write this and this and this and this. And he'd take it and look at it and he'd say, well, you know, you said this, but if if but I'm reading your early letters. You know, I wrote about a thousand letters home right.
2: to people. And uh, you have a whole there. book out with those letters, too.
0: Well, right? yeah, eventually that yeah. was the last book I wrote. I wrote right. Midnight Express first and then I wrote Midnight Return the following. And then years later, all of these letters that people had written and given me that I used to write Midnight Express put in the attic. And I was going to throw them out until Wendy made me bring them back in. And then my lawyer heard that I had some letters. And I, he said, what letters? I said, these moldy old letters so he wanted to read some, and he did. And he said, "You need to take all these letters, organize them, uh, put them in a form that's re- readable, and the big thing is, do not change a single word." Mm, yeah, and that was the hard part—to <laughs> yeah. to read what you think you know about life. So at 23 and 24, right. like some of it is like, "Oh my God, I can't believe I said that," but it was a very interesting experience to go back. I hadn't looked at these letters in 30 years, and emotionally, when I read them, they—they they just instantly took me back i mean i could smell the place i, I could feel the, the the blanket underneath me on the bed i mean it was quite oh. an experience to just put them all together and there's a real arc to them in fact wendy publishes all my stuff now the last couple of years and there's a real arc to the letters that creates a very interesting dynamic in the book you know, The early, even the early letters are for the most part the smart ass wise guy who i was that got me in there but they change after a while and there's a there's definitely a A growth and a change. You know, I certainly needed.
1: You you just mentioned about you know the smells and and taking you back. Here's a question: Do you still have Turkish prison dreams? Because I would, you know, I have dreams about missing a class in college. You know, I mean, (laughs) I mean, seriously, do you still?
0: I would imagine. Not any more like I used to. Like at first, oh, geez, bad stuff. You know, running and guards and stuff. But writing the book was so cathartic, so therapeutic. Getting it all out, putting it on the paper kind of settled it down in a ways and the fact that i have literally been talking about this since the moment i stepped off the plane at Kennedy airport yeah i'm still talking about it now it's 50 years later that obviously must be good for me because i keep doing it i'm doing this one-man show for the last six years now riding the midnight express with billy head traveling the world telling these stories but from a perspective of 50 years later so i'm able to see them and talk about them but have some interesting perspective on them and what i have discovered is over the years people are still interested in this story because everybody can relate in a strange way because everybody's been down in a deep dark place somewhere struggling to get out you know my story is a little more compact (laughs) and dramatic but everybody's been there everybody's had to deal with this so there's a this is kind of a, an inspiration thing that happens at the end of each of the shows that I find so therapeutic and good for me as, a, as an actor to to hear people say, you know, your story helped me because of this and that. It's balancing balancing my karmic scales. I'll take everything I can on the one well, side. and you admit. Mentioned- pal- yeah, uh, I'm yeah. sorry,
1: I'm sorry. Go on. I'm so- no, go ahead. I, I was I was going to say I've I've seen a couple of interviews. Is it was the worst part? Is the worst thing that happened in your life and the best thing that happened in your life? Yep, was
0: absolutely. It forced me to grow up. I, I, you know, I learned a lot of valuable stuff. I discovered my reason for being. I met my wife at the Cannes Film Festival in 1978 when the movie came out, and we've been together for 39 years. I mean, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing for me. Hey, so, it, it,
2: so you mentioned the one-man show. Uh, yeah. Uh, you're, I know you're still doing it and uh, is there's some coming up isn't that right are you doing some
0: well you know what I'm doing I've got a series of uh, library speeches we're okay. doing uh, this Sunday in fact at some of the local libraries in Las Vegas where I live I'm connected I've come back around 50 years later I'm back in the cannabis it, but, you know, it's a very different world, the cannabis world now than when I was first in it in 1969 because it's all legal. I'm working with um, a company called Hemp Inc. and we're putting out uh, a line of old smugglers, high CBD pre-rolled uh, pre-rolls for CBD for relief of body pain, etc., and it's all legal now, of course, because it's it, less it than
2: was just legalized in Illinois training. here. So. Yeah,
1: just,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave you
2: know, and I have been parts. researching it because uh, we're we're students of uh, yeah. the yeah. subject. Sure. Uh, yeah, well, honey, honey,
1: this is for the podcast. I mean, we I we need to know,
2: as you know, legal experts, <laughs> right. Right. what we yes. can talk to <laughs> our people about, and you know, um, so yeah, well, we would I'm be back... interested in your speeches.
0: Well, there you go. We're doing that. I'm working. We're doing with a. I'm doing that these pre-rolls with hemp ink and they're supposedly going to be out before the end of the month which would be lovely and uh yeah, I hear that, too. It always happens when I'm doing a show. Oh, somebody's phone rings. Yes. Or I love doing the show in Scotland. Since so you know, Some drunken guy in the front row. and I'm like, no, nod off, and they wake up and go, we're out. We?
1: Sorry about that. We it's usually just... disconnect the phone, but we, uh, right. yeah, right. you know. But we've so anyway, been I'm studying subjects world.
2: that we shouldn't be studying, and now we're forgetting to do things like unplugging the
1: yeah, phone. Yeah, our, our short-term memory is not very good anymore. <laughs> there is more to come with our guest on Minutia Men's Celebrity Interview right after this. We'll be right back. On this week's Free Kicks with Adam and Rick.
0: We'll see if Lester are really the contenders or are they just kind of faking it. We'll find out on Free Kicks.
2: Contenders or pretenders. Listen to Free Kicks on Spotify, opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts just search for Radio Misfits. And friends and everyone at Opie Shows want you to make sure to wash your hands.
1: And if you're still one of those people who don't wash their hands after they use the bathroom Please do that now. That's
2: something you should have been doing anyway. I... Cover your mouth when you cough. No, no, no. Come on, people. And with that, we have a special message from actress, comedian, and fan favorite, Milana Vindru. I just want to wish the people of Chicago a safe, warm, peaceful stay at home. Please stay healthy. Please help other people stay healthy by staying home. Stay
1: safe, Chicago. Thanks, Milana. Thank you.
2: Guys, seriously, you can save the world by sitting on your ass at home. You cannot afford to miss this opportunity. You won't get another one. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com.
1: Stay home. You will be saving the world. We're back with more Manisha Man Celebrity Interview. Hey, does your wife ever, uh, like, If uh, does she ever flop out the, you escaped from a Turkish prison? and you can't load the dishwasher
0: correctly? Does she ever do anything like that? <laughs> well, you know, there's a whole thing that would be correct, except I do all the dishes. Okay, okay. all right, okay. So you're the dream she's husband. A she's, a, she's a great cook, and I never cook. I literally used to do the dishes in jail people would get together in prison. Different groups come, people come, people go. But, you know, if somebody has an onion, somebody else has two eggs, somebody's got something else. So you put it together, you you cook it up, and then three or four guys share the food. So there was always those kind of groups. I don't cook. I'm just not a cook. But I always cleaned the dishes afterwards because you always get invited back to whatever the next group is if you clean the dishes. And I just kept that tradition out here. So I, wherever we go, I clean the dishes.
2: Well, you're welcome to come <laughs> to our house anytime. Uh, we appreciate it. And actually, Billy, you know, we thank you very much for spending some time with us because uh, we learned a lot, uh, and and we really enjoy your book. We enjoyed the story, and and you're doing good work now, spreading the word. And please keep it up.
0: I appreciate it, guys. All the best. We'll talk again sometime down the line.
1: Thanks, Billy. Good, Take it easy. Good right. health to that. you. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye now. You too. Just like just like what I didn't in high school and college <laughs> yeah. if i if i had a nickel for every time i escaped from a turkish prison absolutely oh my god unbelievable
2: uh so you know we've got uh, another show coming up soon here but uh, before we do let's uh, give special thanks to executive producer tony lasana with dot com. opi is hippo backwards shows.com. we also are distributed by Ed Silla with Radio Misfits Great Talk Radio isn't dead, it's just moved to a better place, radiomisfits.com and we'll be back again next week with another episode of Nusha Men Celebrity Interview
1: This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID 19.
2: The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Ol' Pie Productions.
1: Tony, can you shut up?
2: I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. On the next Back to You, Steve's most embarrassing moment. why do you have to put it on me? You were embarrassed, too. I was. Yeah, more than once. Yes, I've been embarrassed on this podcast before. Not embarrassed enough to end this promo. Maybe embarrassed on this one. We'll talk about some of our life's most embarrassing moments on the next Back to You. Back to You with Howard Sudbury. ...and Steve Baskerville. You can find Back to You on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. A four seasons fun run.
1: The FBI at Chick-fil-A. Our tribute to Norm Crosby. A spiritual journey in Florida. And Rick's Brush with movie star Dennis Hopper. All that in
2: unlimited tangents. So listen to Minutia Men on Spotify, opishows.com, or or wherever you find podcasts, just search for Radio Misfits.
0: If you missed L- Los An- L- Los or La- Los, Los Anno and friends, here's what you missed. So I thought we got over our fight from last week. We had a little <laughs> tiff that was yes? going on. Are you still angry with me? I hope not because we're supposed to do something tonight.
1: Oh, we are supposed
0: to do something yeah, tonight. Yeah. Oh, we are. Oh, we have you, we
1: No, we're going to. We are going to. What right. pray tell are I'm you guys going to do I'm all yours. Tony, I'm all yours. Okay. Wow. Well, all right. All right. <laughs> That's on the record, you know. <laughs> get that in writing. Yeah.
0: Do, do you want to tell them what? I, how I asked you? Do you remember what I said?
1: Okay, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, he was like, it's not going to include Star Wars or sex, but hopefully it'll still be just as fun. It was probably the best text yeah. I, yeah. I've ever received. Ooh. Be sure to tell a friend about our friends.
2: Listen, subscribe, rate, Losano and friends on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. Just search for Radio Misfits. Radio Misfits.
0: Get more Lausano and Friends. Losano. Now on Losano.com. Good luck trying to spell Losano or whatever the
1: f it's called.